Whenever I was a kid, I listened to WLS AM radio from Chicago. I don't know if you guys were able to get that here, but in the 70s, uh, we didn't have all the medium that we do now for uh, uh, all, all the forms of entertainment that we're capable of accessing. We just had a few things, uh, three channels, and if you considered PBS a channel, maybe four as a kid. And uh, a few radio stations, uh, but most of it was country music, uh, with the exception of WLS, which was uh, the rock station in the 70s that I would listen to constantly. And the one thing I look forward to every year was the, uh, the countdown that they would do, the top 100 songs uh, that would be uh, rated as the most popular songs of the day. And consistently they would go through the weekend and um, they, they would land on this one song as the, as the favorite of the year. And do you know what the name of that song was? Hey Jude. Hey Jude. <laughs> All right. Huh, Yeah. That's, uh, that was almost too easy, wasn't it? Uh, and I'm sure that if you lived during that period of time, you know what song I'm talking about. Uh, I'm not going to have you sing it, but it, would, it is one I think people sing in their car uh, and in private in the shower uh, with people, uh, especially the na-na-na part uh, as you think about uh, how it um, crescendos there. But the thing that I, I like about the song is actually how much it resonates with um, uh, another Jude, and that is... Uh, one of the smallest books in the New Testament uh, that's towards the end uh, that isn't just entitled uh, the Epistle of Jude. It's the writing of Jude. Uh, it's a little over 20 verses long, uh, but in it there's packed quite a bit. And um, as I'm thinking about the very first line from uh, Hey Jude, do you know what it is? Hey Jude, don't make it bad. Take a sad song. I'm not a choir director, so I won't direct you on it, uh, and make it better. And uh, I thought, okay, there you go. Right, yeah, till has got his phone there. He he's goes to concerts and stuff. I guess that's, that, that's what they do there, yeah. Oh, that's great. Um, so what I, what I thought I would do is blend it a little bit with, um, with an idea that has come up in, in, in contemporary Christian music. Uh, there was a, a song written a, a few years ago called Casting Crowns, and um, I, I really enjoy their music, and I know many of you uh, do as well. And, and they have a song that uh, is simply entitled Life Song, and I'd never heard that phrase Life Song, but when I heard the song played, I understood what a life song was. It, it really is that music that drives you through life. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to do a little bit of a blend here on uh, the, the first few lyrics of that Beatles tune and how that idea of life song fits in. And so it's not a sad song for us. It's a life song. And the idea is... God wants to take what is inside of us, the, 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 the musical theme that drives us through life. Uh, it's expressed very well uh, in, in form, for example, by what we just heard uh, the choir uh, uh, sing. Uh, it's, it's a way of saying there is something inside my heart that is, that is churning, literally. And it brings such joy no matter what circumstances I find myself in. 
And it really is God's gift to each of us to be able to experience that. It's the one thing he envisioned. I mean, how many of you, if you're a parent, uh, have uh, uh, just reveled in seeing your children, you know, uh, mind, uh, mindfully just playing and then singing a song or humming a tune? You know that they're just happy. And uh, if, the, if God is wired into... Uh, birds like sparrows, certain musical capabilities. Uh, there is just a connection between the expression of what's in our hearts as it takes on a musical form and the life that we're called to live. I, I don't think that's by accident. And so all of that said, um, if you take that word life song and uh, you try to define it, there really isn't a dictionary uh, definition that, that I'm aware of. I'm sure Oxford will make that uh, notation if it gets enough popularity. But there is something called the Urban Dictionary, which I don't recommend that you look at. However, I did look it up for this verse or for this word alone, and and this is what it said about life song. And I thought it was interesting. Um, it said, "Life song is a song that a person picks," and and. The Urban Dictionary, anybody can get on there and write their own entry. So this is what they wrote. This is a song that a person picks, and for the rest of their life, when that song is heard, the person, no matter where they are, is required to dance for approximately 15 seconds or more. You are not required multiple dances for a song that is played continuously. Didn't know, didn't know either one of those things. Uh, so evidently, in their mind, uh, you have to couple that with dance. Now, I'm a horrible dancer, but I, I understand uh, that dancing and singing is an expression of the joy that's in a person's heart. And uh, there is um, a person in the, in the leadership circle of the church uh, that is alongside Paul and Peter and, and the others who is trying to encourage churches to be able to stay healthy. And, and really uh, keep true to the, to the first love that they had in the Lord. Uh, and Judah's writing a letter to a church saying, uh, I want to just write you to commend you on what you're doing and living your lives in such, uh, in such a good manner. But I have, since I've taken pen to paper, I've also recently discovered that there are some problems in the church that are creating uh, uh, really um, uh, 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 a disconnect between the joy that's in your heart and the things that people are coming in and saying about the Lord and about what you should believe and what you should do, ultimately stealing your joy. He was deeply concerned about that, and he wrote this brief letter uh, to try to convey that there are forces at work trying to steal what is so precious that at times we take for granted, and that is the the life song in you that God has, has created and called you to live according to its score. And when these persons are coming into the church, uh, they're, they're not really interested in doing too much except lead people away from following God and lead them into a way of looking at life that you can do whatever you want. And they're just inviting chaos. And uh, some people are going for it and other people aren't. Maybe I can best describe it this way. Uh, about 25 years ago, I started out uh, in a small country church in a, in a parsonage uh, that my wife and I uh, lived in next to the church. And it, as we were 
just a young married couple in this personage. Um, we didn't realize it, but we were uh, laying in bed one night, and right behind our headboard was chirping and carrying on. And I had no idea what this was, uh, but quickly as we woke up and we heard it, we, we assumed that it might be squirrels down in between the two, um, the two joists uh, and the wall, the wall studs. And they had established a nest right behind our bed, behind a piece of um, uh, 70s era um, uh, paneling. And I told my wife, I said, this can't go on. And it was happening night after night after night. And one night I just got up. I got some of her hairspray, which was very powerful. And I just shot it in between the cracks. And they went from chirping to screaming. And I thought, finally, they'll calm down. So I, I went up into the attic of this two-story house to investigate. And I, and I shined my flashlight down um, the, uh, I don't know the technical word for the main joist that holds the house up, but attached to that were, were uh, conduit, or were wires, rather. And I noticed that they were very shiny that all of the insulation had been eaten off of all these wires. And I, I wondered, where, where does this end? And how much of the insulation is gone? And then I knew that there was going to be a battle, that it was war. And I had put on my, and I'm not, I'm not a hunter, I'm, I'm really horrible at killing anything, but I was thinking we at least have to get rid of them. And so I discovered that there were more than just two squirrels up there. There was a whole den of them. And I thought, I've got to get rid of them, but I don't want to kill them, so I will try to find a way to do what I need to do. And I got some live traps that a person suggested that I use, and I put them up there, and they said, now just put some bait that goes up to the trap, and then some in the trap, and then you'll catch them, and you can just do what you need to afterwards with them. So I put... I started off with, um, I think I put some corn up there. And they, they would eat it up to the trap and then they would stop. And then I put some peanut butter up there and pretty much the same thing. Um, and, and then, uh, you know, I'm, I'm getting a little frustrated because I'm not having any luck catching these squirrels and they're still eating my food. And I asked somebody and they said, well, you know what you need to do is just uh, change the menu give them something that they would like. And I'm thinking, well, they don't like corn. They don't like peanut butter. Uh, what, what do they like? Well, they like nuts. And I thought, well, I'm just going to put some nuts up there. And I remember having some, I believe it was some cashews, and I thought, I don't like those anyway, and we'll just stick them up there and put them up there. And sure enough, caught me a squirrel. And I... You're thinking, where is he going with this? I put him in my car, and a neighbor and I drove him five miles south of town and unleashed him at the uh, park down there. So we did the whole clan that way, only to have a few of them return. And it just went on and on. But the, the interesting thing was that uh, they were pretty cagey about responding to the traps that I had, and it was only when I gave them something that would appeal to them in a way that they couldn't control themselves and resist it, that they finally took the bait. And I thought about how 
in this, in this book, the book of Jude, uh, as it's being written, it describes uh, different things that are happening to the believers that are pulling them away. And Jude was very concerned that uh, they were trading something very special for something that was, it was really below average. And yet, when we see something that's appealing, there are times when our better judgment um, uh, is lost and our impulses tend to follow. And so I just want to look at a few verses from the book of Jude. And as we do, uh, a few things along the way to see whether or not God is working in our lives in a way that can keep us true to what we've been called to do or whether there are things testing us a little bit and trying to pull us out of the environment that we're called to live in. And what I'd like to do is just um, uh, look at what is the life song of a follower of Jesus? Because uh, I know as it was depicted in what we heard in this song and what we know as believers that you will know that a person is a Christian in their heart by the fruit of what's coming out of their life. Jesus said you'll know the person by their fruit. And so this is really the baseline. This is where we're at. This is where we're called to be. And you know what it is? It's that wonderful set of verses found in Galatians 5 that Paul describes as the fruit of the Spirit. You will know a Christian who is a Christian in their heart when you see the fruit of the Spirit at work in their life. Just out of their heart wells this sense of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Paul said... Literally, there is no need for the Ten Commandments. There's no need for regulations. There's no need for policies. There's no need for any of that. Because if you have that going on, your heart is in tune with the Lord in such a way that the decisions that you have to make along the way will probably be pretty close to the best decisions that you can make. It's a way of saying that when you are in tune, you'll have of the right mind. You'll have good judgment. You'll actually use good wisdom. And though we, we, we aspire to make the right decisions at the right time in every situation, when we don't have the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, chances are we won't always make the best decisions. And he says that there's no law and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. That is just the impulses that say, do this, do that. Don't think about the consequences. And the passions that your flesh has, it's just a way of saying a mind that is only oriented towards just doing what it feels like doing when you feel like doing it. And he says, however, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And I, I can't help but wonder if the Urban Dictionary person wasn't, wasn't too far off the mark when they said, when the life song is in your heart, then, and you hear the music played, you have to dance for 15 seconds. I think in some ways, keeping in step with the, the Spirit. Do you have any dancers in here? Any of you guys dance? All the men are like, I wouldn't let you know if I dance because... Only my wife knows about that, or I guess maybe your girlfriend if you don't have a wife. If you have a wife and you have a girlfriend, we need to talk. But um, if, you, if you just imagine singing and keeping in step, 
It's this motion that we have. And some people have even said that the Trinity, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who we don't really talk about much God in that way, but there's actually a divine dance that happens where they're, they're each doing their own part and they're cooperating together and they're aligned and yet they still have a different role in the dance. And it's a beautiful image to describe when we are on our game as believers. And so if you ever wonder as a believer... Am I truly being a Christian in my heart? All you have to do is look at this passage and say, am I seeing love and joy and peace and all that? Or am I seeing other things that are tensions within my spirit or things that are drawing me away from God or things that are producing bad fruit? Then you know you're probably not where you need to be. And as Jude's writing this letter, he understands that this is where we should all be. And when Jesus' life song is being played in our hearts, um, we can live that out. And we can live that not only uh, under his care, but as we read in the first couple of verses of Jude, which I really like, we live our life song in the safety of God's presence. And Jude writes, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Mercy and love and peace be yours in abundance. As he's saying that, he's just saying that God's watching over you like he watches over the sparrow. He's attending to our lives. He's guarding us. He's keeping us. And as long as we're willing to be kept under his care, he will certainly watch us along the way and it would be interesting to see all the scenarios that could have happened had God's angels not been there at an appropriate time. Maybe uh, in an event with a car or uh, a circumstance where um, some potential bodily harm could have happened but we just barely missed it by that far and it just seemed like wow that was beyond coincidence. And it's just another way of saying God is guarding us and keeping us. And we live our life song in the safety of God's presence. It doesn't mean that Christians don't have accidents, that bad things don't happen to Christians. But it does mean that oftentimes we live our lives with that sense. And even if we were to die through an accident or something like that, God is still keeping us. He is guarding our soul forever. And it's a beautiful place to be. And in the end of the letter it says we also are called to keep ourselves there as well. And there's a cooperation between ourselves and God. And as long as we're willing to be kept by him, he keeps us. But he can also say like in the garden, if you want to go, I'm not going to force you to do anything. You can go, but if you go outside of the boundaries of the relationship and you start playing a different song in your heart, there may be... There may be trouble, and it may not go well for you. And so we live in the safety of God's presence in that way. And as we do that, Jude is aware that not everybody wants to listen to that song or dance to that tune. And some of those individuals have come into the church and they've scoffed at Jesus Christ as being a savior Or having authority over their lives in any meaningful way. And then they've went on to say, who says you have to follow Jesus and be faithful and be obedient? 
And the, and the scoffing continues in the book of Jude, and I'm, I'm just going to reference it more than I am going to quote it. And what occurs is basically uh, 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 an undercutting of everything that's good. You know, you can't have love and joy and peace and patience when you're doing things that are, are violating trust in other people or you're exploiting other people or you are acting, acting hateful towards other people. God's not going to dance with you in that dance. But if you are wanting to do the right thing, God says, I like that dance. I want to be in that with you. And Jude is looking at how that is starting to play out. And he says, there are forces at work that seek to draw us out of that, out of that safety. And so in verse 4, we read these words. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. And essentially, um, Jude just summarizes what we've been talking about the last few minutes um, right there. Forces at work. And forces oftentimes are interesting. Sometimes they're, they're very direct. Like, I'm going to make you do this. And oftentimes when somebody says, I'm going to make you do something, what do we say? Oh, no, you're not. But there are other people who are more clever who say, I'm going to sort of seduce you into being drawn into something that is very appealing. And doing that with the desire actually to, 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 to subvert our resistance and to make us call good, bad things good and good things bad and get it all twisted around by twisting our own thinking. And you just have to be very careful. Uh, you and I live in a day when um, it's not popular for us to call out other people for misbehaving. And I, and I think that's probably something that um, God allows the Holy Spirit to convict us of. You know, sin, righteousness, and judgment, like John says. But we do see that there are wrong things happening. Things that go against the grain of godliness. And many times it's being depicted as something that other voices are saying perfectly fine in that context under those circumstances. And we find ourselves honestly very confused about what is right and what is wrong. And the only way we kind of keep our compass set accurately and keep our true north in line is just by reading the scripture and saying, yeah, it's, it's not good to do whatever, whatever it is that your conscience is telling you uh, based on God's word is not appropriate. Jude was very concerned about things being twisted in such a way that the that, that all the mu- the musical score is just wrecked and the dance is 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 erratic and he describes the promises of these forces in verse twelve uh, those those forces um, offer empty promises and are are restless until we give in to them and there are just some some ways of living and being and thinking that are not are not in alignment with God's will and purpose and yet they want 
to make sure that everybody feels the same way they do and legitimizes it. And so Jude describes them this way. These people are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm. And you're saying, what's a love feast? But it's, it's just gathering at the Lord's table and enjoying it in a way that celebrates the covenant that we have. And when they would gather, um, they would just they would actually say things that undercut the significance of the bread and the loaf that were being eaten. And they would um, really, in a, in, in a different spirit, point people in, a, in another direction. So here's what they, he said. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit, uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars, for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Um, if you've ever been promised something, um, like you, you look at you, you look at packaging today, and it'll say all natural ingredients, and you're like, what does that mean? All natural ingredients, and some sometimes it just means. Well, in some way, the product that you're eating has been processed. And the ingredients have, in some form, come from the earth somewhere, somehow. And after that processing has occurred, um, we can deduce that it's derived from nature. Well, it's just an absurd way of saying the same garbage we've been feeding you before is still in there and we'll keep feeding it to you but we'll let you think that it's all natural. And then there are others that say, no, we're going to give you something that is nutritional, that is free of pesticides, free of anything that will do you bodily harm. It is carefully um, produced and packaged in such a way that the full organic benefit of what God designed this product of nature to be is still maintained intact in what you're getting ready to consume. And when you eat something that's fresh, that is untainted, you just feel so much better. But when you eat something that's natural but still garbage, you still feel cruddy. And it's, in in my mind, just an example of what these guys are offering. They're offering up something that says, oh, this is perfectly natural, this is perfectly good. But it's just really a way of saying, you can thumb your nose at God and do whatever you want because that's the natural thing to do. And he describes them as a, a, a wind, a, a cloud that has no rain, um, describes them as forces in nature that can provide nothing of any value. And what he describes essentially, if we can look at those verses again, is um, uh, the fact that um, the, the, the clouds without rain, the fruitless trees, and the wild waves of the sea um, foaming up their shame and wandering stars do you know what scripture that actually 
corresponds well with in the converse. If you just think of what promise people in that day had from looking at nature and all that it could provide and their dependency on it, they needed rain, they needed trees to bear fruit. When they looked at the stars, they needed the stars to be stable in the sky so that they could find direction for the place that they were going. All of these things were critical for their lives uh, here on earth. The, the stars would guide them. Whenever there would be a star, for example, that would fall out of the sky like a falling star, that would be described as sort of a wandering star. One that wasn't suitable for navigation. One that you really had to ignore. And what he's saying is full of promises but really in the end offer nothing that is going to be life-giving. And what I, what I like is the fact that as we just go to the next point and close this out, is God is at work to provide everything we need if we're willing to stay true to him. It's just his desire to care for us. And in the way that he does that, uh, I think it's best summarized in the 23rd Psalm. And in it we read, The Lord is my shepherd. He's my guide. He's my, my true north. He's, he's the star in the sky that won't let me down. And I'll lack nothing because the direction that he offers is sufficient for everywhere that I'm going. He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. And in those green pastures that are, that are fortified from the nutrients of the ground and the water that's, uh, that, that is uh, feeding the roots from the stream, uh, you have something of substance that's refreshing. And when you look at the, 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 the clouds and the, um, and, and the dead trees and the wandering stars, and you see them in contrast to this, it's God's way of saying to us, if you trust me as your shepherd, I will never let you down. I will always provide for you. And you will always find nourishment and sustenance and hydration for your soul. And even when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to be afraid. Because God is with us. And it's a beautiful contrast to what is being offered in the diet of the world. And as I just end this message today, because it's really a two-part message, and uh, the conclusion of it uh, is, is, is best found in what we're going to be hearing next week. But in setting it up, the one thing that I want you to be aware of is that any time that you find that there are disruptive forces at work in your life, and it can come from anywhere, it can come from people, it can come from media, it can come from ideas that you've, you've sort of let swim around in your head. If, if they are not resonant with the fruit of the Spirit, then they may be something that's offering empty promises that eventually will leave you dead in your faith and dead in your soul. But if you remain in God, you have to, you have to trust that everything that you need, where you are at, in your place in life, He will provide. And our only job is to just stay true to Him. Is to just love Him with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. 
And in doing so, we love our neighbors ourselves. And it's just a way of staying in tune with the life song we've been giving and perhaps keeping in step with the dance partner that he is uh, and that we are together. And out of that, it's when the beautiful things happen um, that Jude was concerned in seeing uh, would, 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 would cease occurring. And, and I'm always concerned that will cease occurring if they are occurring uh, in, in your life today. I want to just close by inviting you into that, into that dance and, and inviting you into uh, that music, which is the life song of God. And the place we discover it uh, is in the presence of our Lord Jesus, inviting him into our lives, trusting him every day, acknowledging that he saves us from those dark forces and knowing that he keeps us forever in a life that is designed uh, no matter what in the darkest valley is designed to keep us safe in him.